Today's episode of Hear That Podcast Ground presented by Visa Network, working for everyone. Paul Daner Jr., Jay Morrison of The Athletic are here working for you on our final game preview edition of Hear That Podcast Ground. We can say that confidently, Jay. This is the last game of the season. This will do it. Bengals, Rams, Super Bowl 56. Sunday. How about it? We are inside of 56 hours to go until Super Bowl 56. And it it, it feels like it's going to be 560 hours. It's just it, t- things move fast out here in L.A., but time doesn't seem to be one of them. It just seems like game day is never going to get here. It will, of course. It just doesn't feel like it right now. Maybe it speeds up over the weekend. Yeah, it's funny. Like it, this is something that I remember in, in just in covering the Super Bowl over the years is how long the week feels because you spend so much time dissecting the game and talking about the players and writing the stories and and everybody's doing that and, and there's it's just so much build up and so much dissection to every little aspect of a game. It feels like forever until the game finally gets here. Well, when it's the Bengals. And you've already been doing that all season. If you're a fan listening to this, you've already been thinking about this since the moment McPherson's kick went through in Kansas City. It feels exponentially longer and exponentially overdone. And and you're just like, you almost can't think about it anymore because it's like, okay, I've already thought, I've already considered the fact that Aaron Donald is going to decapitate Joe Burrow's spleen <laughs> at like 322 in the second quarter. Every, like You've already got every detail figured out in your head of how you think this thing's going to go and every, and every breakdown. So you get to this point and it's like, man, can we play the game? Can, can they just play the game? Because uh, we, we've, we've kind of done the predictive thing. R.I.P. to your mentions, Paul, because you just brought all the jinx and curse bros out. How could you say that? How could you say that? You're going to speak it into existence. Um, Look, jinx and curse bros, uh, you know, R.I.P. to them because it's been a rough (laughs) month and a half for for jinx and curse bros around Cincinnati. Okay, those uh, those have all gone by the wayside. I don't think any of us have uh, the power to hold up a jinx or a curse against Joe Burrow at this point. The man, uh, he kills all of them in one fell swoop. If there's anything we've learned um, and and we'll get into Joe Burrow and, and his hold that he has on the NFL right now uh, in a minute. And we'll, we've got a bunch of stuff to get to Chris Collinsworth. I have him and Al Michaels who will be calling the game, but Collinsworth in particular talking about uh, calling this game from Cincinnati or, being from Cincinnati and calling this game uh, and, you know, his view of that and that he had the comments that, that came out about him talking about Jamar chase, but there was a lot more to it than that on on his conference call this week. And I I wanted to bring you some of that. Um, We have Andrew Hawkins, a favorite of mine who I went over to see at the NFL network availability yesterday, talking about uh, the view from that, that 11 to 15 group watching this, um, the fight with Jalen Ramsey and AJ Green, who he's very, very close friends with AJ Green still, and uh, and and just his view of this Bengals team, he has a very unique one, and I thought he said some, some really interesting stuff. Uh, and so Andrew Hawkins will be here later, and then I have a conversation with Robert Mays that was on the Athletic NFL Football Show, um, 
and Jordan Rodriguez was also on that show. If you want to, so if you're not a subscriber to that, please do. If you don't follow that, please go follow that. You can get all the Bengals and Rams conversation there. But we're going to bring a, a portion of that conversation just directly to you as listeners of HTPG. Uh, we, with the conversation that we did yesterday. So those are all coming. We have a bunch of run passer boots. You guys submitted some. Of course, we will have our Bengals growler bet. And I think we decided let's give people a chance to be extra happy and, and try to win a growler bet uh, on the day of the Super Bowl. So we've got that one. And of course, we will end with our predictions for Sunday's game. Um, there are a million great stories up on the site. Jay, you have a great story on Lou Anarumo. Uh, weird uncle, mad scientist, every name you can come up with. And some really, I, I love the anecdote about the Kansas City game in there where he basically went in at halftime, right, Jay, and just said, you guys got any ideas? Because let's hear them. <laughs> <laughs> and they did. And it were. I mean, that was that was a big part of holding them to three points. This was the regular season game. I think none of they will not admit it, but I do feel like that was the plan all along to draw. It wasn't just because they were getting their doors blown off in the championship game that they switched to that eight-man rush or dropping eight guys and going to a three-man rush. It, I, it, it feels like that was the plan all along, and they were waiting to unveil it until after halftime so the, the Chiefs would have a harder time to adjust. But that's that's who Lou has been all year. He it, Whether he is coming up with his own halftime adjustments or crowdsourcing them from his players, there's just – this unique ability they have and they've they've been among the league's best defenses in the second half since the bye and a lot of that is because of their the his ability to adapt with what's being thrown at him and the player's ability to recognize it um and make the changes necessary yeah i mean you know that's kind of a big part of this game is can lou anarumo continue to be this befuddling wizard that he has been for quarterbacks you know i mean and and credit to the players who are out there making the plays but you know he has really found ways to make all the adjustments that you need to make as as the year has gone on and can he do that to matt stafford the same way he did it to mahomes the same way he was able to do it to ryan Tannehill, uh and really at the end of the day the same way he was able to do it against Derek carr and uh you know it's remarkable that we're talking about that uh considering where we were a year ago with uh, Zach's back, lose back, run it back, right? Like it <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> feels like forever ago. Uh, but you know, the, the thought that I unbelievable, he wasn't the fall guy for six twenty five and one. And here he is the reason, one of the big reasons they're here in the Super Bowl. Great story there. Speaking of great stories, John Greenberg and Brody Miller, who you guys are probably familiar with, uh, did an incredible story on, the places that claim Joe Burrow with a million awesome anecdotes of the Burrow effect in Athens, in Baton Rouge, in Columbus, and in Cincinnati, and talking to anybody and everybody uh, from his past. It's just an awesome story, an awesome read on sort of the power of Burrow. And as I talked about in the live room the other day, I mean, the similarities between stuff he did in, in, in LSU and, and here in Cincinnati – are just uncanny and these these individual stories in the background of it tell tell it great it's a, it's a, it's an awesome read cannot recommend it enough great great work from John and Brody who you're familiar with if you listen to this podcast you uh, you, you you know them really well um 
Reminder, we're going to have a live room with myself, Jay, Jordan Rodriguez, who covers the Rams, Lindsey Jones, our national writer. We're all going to be in a live room that we're going to be doing that later today, this being Thursday. Um, so come on in for that. Um, and if you if you can't make it in for that this afternoon, uh, it'll be available exclusively as Athletic Audio Plus content on the Athletic Football Show feed. So you can, you can catch that archive later there. Uh, but we'll be breaking down everything about the game in, in that live room to, to also is our last chance to really get you totally prepped for Sunday's game. And of course, we'll have the walkout after the game from LA and, and all that stuff. Um, real quick, as far as news, not a ton. CJ Uzama didn't practice on Wednesday. He, Zach Taylor said he's expected to practice on Thursday today. He remains optimistic about him. I think that's the case. You will see him out there. I mean, really, isn't it about lateral movement at this point? I mean, I think we've, I, I, you know, being out there, saw him doing the straight line running, doing the bike, do, doing the resistant band runs. But how does he look like when he first goes to make that yak move? You know, does it does it hold up? Does it stay strong when he tries to go laterally? I think that's really the 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 big question remaining that they're going to probably going to want to get answers to at the Thursday practice. Yeah, and it, it. I mean, it it almost feels like it's more of his presence than, than what he can actually contribute. I mean, yes, it would be nice to have him as that check down option, but, but the, the Rams aren't going to be real worried if, if it's Drew sample lining up for 90% of the snaps at tight end, but you put CJ Uzama in there and that it, it, it forces them to be a little more honest with their coverage, but it, that, that is a great point because I almost laughed. There was, there was a game in Chicago where CJ caught a pass and he tried to do this little shimmy move. And it was honestly one of the weakest attempts to shake a tackler I've ever seen in my life. And I just, <laughs> I know he was going to get roasted in film study, but he, he's kind of gone a different way. He's not trying to fake guys out. He's just running them over. And he's, it seems every time he catches a pass, he breaks at least one tackle and he's not, he's not getting these Jamar chase type of yak, but he, he gets an extra four, five, six yards after every catch. And um, the the strength of the knee is going to be a big part of that because that it's planning and driving and and running through guys to, to get that extra yards. And you, you wonder if, if that is going to be affected with playing two weeks after an MCL sprain. Yeah, and we'll see. And like you say, I, I don't. You know, the, he's not the game changer of the of, of this whole thing. I mean, this is, it's not going to come down to him. But yeah, we'll we'll be monitoring him uh, on Thursday as we as we always do. All right, let's take a second and switch gears here and hear from a sponsor. I kind of wanted to take a moment here before we dive in to. Kind of just set the scene in L.A. a little bit here. I mean, we've talked about how throughout this run, it has felt in many ways regular. It, it has felt like it all feels the same, right? It's just another week. And I think they the Bengals have done a great job of that and us kind of following it closely. It had, you can sense that, that feel of it. It all felt very normal. It was just another week, you know? It was week 19. It was week 20. And, and, and it felt that way. This is definitively like there's just no there is nothing that feels like another week about what's happening right now. I mean, I, they're out here now. It's all different. You know, all the the routines are different. 
you know, the I think the the enormousness of the moment is noticeable for players. It's hard not to be in just the total flip in insane attention that happens when you get out here. I don't know, Jay, maybe it feels different to you, but I mean, and maybe it's just being around Radio Row and the media center and the city and seeing all the Bengals faces up on every single big building in the city out here. And that makes it feel that way. But I, I think the whole feels like another game thing, just another week is, is, is gone. Yeah, because it is so different. I mean, the media there there are guys that the Bengals haven't given us all year that sat in front of a Zoom screen and did forty minute interviews. There, their assistant coach, every single assistant coach has done that. And you, you, I, you always wonder: is there going to be enough questions for this guy to cover forty minutes? And there is. That's how many media cover this. People are popping into those zooms. So I, I think that part, the the glare, is what really makes it feel different for them. And Joe Burrow even kind of mentioned too, where it did now that they were on site in LA that yes, it feels different. He was looking forward to getting to practice yesterday, just so it would, it would get back to more of that normal, just playing football feel. But there's, there's, there's so much asked of these guys and there, there's no way, I mean, from they're all wearing the same sweat suit there. There's just, there's so many things that are different that there's you you can't really lie to yourself and say this is just another game. You you have to feel that the magnitude of it. And I think it 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 does help that they're sequestered out in Westwood. They're not in downtown LA. They're not seeing I, I went out there for their arrival and it's you wouldn't know it was Super Bowl week out in that area. You don't have all those banners and all that other stuff, but you know the in the ballroom where the logos are everywhere and they have to do these zooms. That's where it feels different. Um, we'll see once they get to, to Sunday and actually get to the, the field, that's where you really wonder, do, does the pregame warm up? Does the whole buildup feel different or does it, or can they stay with that mindset of treating it like just another game? Because everybody knows it's not, it's, it's, it's who can actually make it feel like it that's going to have the edge to come out ahead in this game. Yeah, I think a lot of people want to make something of Super Bowl experience, and that's important. I mean, a lot of these Rams players played in Super Bowl a few years ago, really understand the dynamics of the game that are different and how to adjust to them, and even things as simple as the longer halftime or whatever. Like Those are things that you're familiar with that you can go back to. You also have, you know, Bengals players that are going to be relying on the national championship game experience in that way. And in the, the feeling of those big games, because that's really where they're hearkening back to the most with their primary players. But you do have a bunch of Bengals players that have never been to this stage before. I don't see them being overwhelmed by it, but I do think that, you know, it's a, it's a sliver of the, of the equation here is, is those first couple of drives getting those jitters out on those first couple of drives. And and then you just are, you do feel like at that point you're playing football, but you know, the first, the kickoff when you're out there and all the ball light bulbs go off and, and you, and you've been thinking about this game for two weeks and you know, everybody is in the world that you know is watching. Um, and, <laughs> and over a hundred million people are watching around the world. Like that, 
the that I think can can get in your head for a minute. I do think it goes away quickly, but it can get in your head uh, for a minute. The one thing I I talked about is you know I've talked about this scene a bunch is you know when Bill Belichick was handing it to the Rams and, and McVeigh, there was Zach Taylor and Sean McVeigh and Jerry Goff in that circle talking and trying to figure out the puzzle how different it must feel because you you have games where things go sideways but how must it different the intensity of freak out must be when things go sideways in that game compared to when it goes sideways against the bears in week two or whatever you know i mean how different that feels and the intensity of it i i think that's maybe a part of the equation too is when things do go wrong Where's where's the calming influence? And that's where you turn to Joe Burrow. Yeah. I mean, look at the national championship game a couple years ago. That it was it wasn't sideways, but it was getting there. That was a really rough start for LSU for a team that had just cruised through everybody, including their semifinal win. And that you you saw that poise. You saw that calming influence that you're talking about where they he, he just got that team settled and then finally hit the long pass, and it was like that whole team just exhaled, and then it was right back to what they'd been all along where they just really turned it on and, and whipped Clemson. Um, and I, I, think there's, I think there's other guys like that. Um, I, I think Lou is – is like that. He is not a screamer and a yeller. And it's a, it's a very analytical approach of figuring things out when, when they're going sideways. And, and I think Zach is that same way too. There, he, I, I've, I've seen him scream at officials, but I've never seen him kind of lose his mind on the sideline with players or in, you know, plays, anything like that. So I, I do think they have those calming presence or people that, that can can give that presence and, and kind of settle the waters if, if they do get choppy. Um, ideally, you'd like to go out and score first and, and just never trail, and that's it's kind of a pipe dream. I mentioned on our last pod, the the team that scores first is 11-9 and nine in the last 20 Super Bowls. It's even a Super Bowl champion that proves themselves as the best team all year is going to face adversity in the biggest game. And it, you if you have a guy like Joe Burrow on your side – and let's not forget this is this is Matthew Stafford's first run at this too. Um, that that more so than his skill and his dissection, just his his presence and his makeup to keep things calm is one of the greatest assets they have on their side for this game. I agree with you, and and I think it has shown itself the last three weeks is that Zach Taylor has put together a staff of calm communicators. That's sort of. It he's looked for guys that are in his same mold, right? That's who he is as a as a coach. That's how he is as a teacher, and he likes to be in building relationships with people. And you look across his staff, and really, and by extension, his quarterback and his leaders, and they almost across the board are, are are calm communicators, with a few exceptions, and that really lends itself to big games. It, it really lends itself to intense moments because you just continue to go through and, and communicate calmly the same way you do, and that keeps everybody at ease the same way that, that Burrow helps keep everybody at ease. You mentioned, you know, Stafford's first game. You know, we, we've we seen him have a, a pretty decent run in the playoffs. 
to this point where he's he's only got one or two, but he's you know late in the season he was struggling and and he's had rough moments. It's not like they have been world beaters offensively. I mean, this is not that he's come out there and and looked like the next great thing. I mean, he they they're in a lot of ways they've been winning in spite of him, and you do wonder. A guy who's never played on this stage. You know, I, I'm more. I, I, if I'm the Rams, I'm far more worried about Matthew Stafford on the big stage than I am about the young kid Joe Burrow on the big stage. Right? Like, is Stafford going to crumble? Uh, and I laugh. That, I don't know if you saw the Gridiron Heights cartoon that they do, yes. but it, which is great. The Bengals are the cool kids, which is just you know <laughs> how, how. What is this world? Right? The Bengals are the cool kids that break into this party, this cartoon party. And at one point, though, Matt Stafford just picks up a blowtorch and just goes, "I will go down in flames." And just and I and I go back to that when I think about like Stafford, like he will go down in flames. Like he that when when it, when it, the pressure starts to mount on him. You know, you could see him making the throws that could kill him. And I, 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 you know, that what will his need for a calming presence? How how calm will he stay when adversity strikes the Rams too? another big element of this? My favorite part of that cartoon is at the end where it's it's Stafford and Joe Burrow smoking cigars. <laughs> Stafford can't really handle it. And Joe's like, are you choking? Are you choking? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, that was, that was a particularly, that was a particularly good one, but yeah, so there's, there's, um, there's a lot of stuff to get to this game. Um, we've got some, a bunch of things we need to get to now. So let's, um, let's go and I want to bring you Chris Collinsworth. So Chris Collinsworth, I I saw him at the bubble practice last weekend and he kind of joked like, yeah, I know the story's already written on me, written on me. I'm going to be the biased analyst. Like I, I, there's (laughs) nothing I could do or say to this. People are going to think that, you know, they're probably going to show Collinsworth catching balls in the Super Bowls and all in the Bengals gear. So it's like, you know, but it's a, it's a, what an incredible cross section. Uh, for this guy, a Bengals legend, going to be calling the Super Bowl uh, on NBC, and that, but he had some interesting things to say. I thought about the Bengals being in the Super Bowl, and the one that made the most headlines about Jamar Chase. But the, a lot of context there. This is actually from a conference call um, earlier this week with Chris, with everybody from the NBC show, but Collinsworth and Al Michaels, uh, a, a big part of this. I just I, I thought it was interesting stuff to bring to you, and then we'll we'll come back and we'll we'll run through some run passer boots. I uh, wanted to ask you about the Bengals and the way they've built their roster. Uh, there was some question over who they should draft this year, and a lot of people felt they should take uh, the offensive tackle because you got to protect Joe Burrow. And that's the, the general line of thinking in the NFL. you got to beef up your offensive line to protect the quarterback. But the Bengals and, and Zach Taylor said they wanted to draft another receiver just because it gave Joe Burrow so many weapons that it doesn't, it almost doesn't matter necessarily who's blocking. He can get rid of the ball so quickly. What do you think of all that? And just what do you think of the way that the Bengals built around their wide receivers? Yeah, Panay Sewell's a really good player, but she's not what Jamar Chase has been this year. Uh, Jamar Chase, in my estimation, is already the best receiver that I've ever seen play with a Cincinnati Bengals uniform on. And I don't say that lightly. Uh, Isaac Curtis is a dear friend of mine. And Chad Ochocinco was phenomenal during his run here. Um, But the number of times I've seen Jamar Chase catch the football and five or ten yards down the field and score a touchdown without anybody tackling him, obviously, first of all. But usually nobody touching him. 
Um, his catch and run skills have just been so much fun to watch this season. And I had a chance. And the bizarre part about this game is I think for all of us um, to be doing a team in the Super Bowl that we did not do on Sunday night football. I mean, the odds of that are not very good uh, at all. So I literally went back and watched all the throws, all the catches, all the plays. Uh, and this group of receivers is really phenomenal. And they are a balanced bunch with Chase obviously being the explosive guy. T. Higgins is a monster, you know, big, strong, contested catches. Uh, and Tyler Boyd is somebody that is just a bit of a street fighter. And all the big moments and all those clutch third-down conversions he's been making for this team all season long. So it was really a joy for me to go back and really get familiar with this with this group of receivers and this quarterback who uh, I've, I've told a couple of our guys already that I think he's followed by angels. Joe Burrow has escaped some moments this year that uh, you know, you just can't imagine. You just saw a little bit of it against the Chiefs and Chris Jones in that championship game. So uh, they're a fun watch. I don't know how much America is familiar with them because there haven't been that many primetime sort of games, but uh, they are definitely a fun watch. We'll, we'll take the next question from the line of Neil Betts with Newsday. Please go ahead. Uh, another one for Chris, if I may. I mean, uh, aside from the, you know, you mentioned the personal meaning of this for you. Over this past week, has this been kind of a chance to uh, reconnect with former teammates? I mean, are you guys on, like, text chains uh, sort of talking about what this is going to be like? What, what's that part of it been like for you? Yeah, Neil, I'll say I've been kind of holed up <laughs> getting ready for this game. It's, uh, I don't leave the basement very often. Uh, but I did go to the Bengals practice, and um, it was tremendous. Uh, and Mike Brown is a guy that, in many ways, I feel like gets the short end of the stick sometimes because he's not, you know, he's not Jerry Jones. He's not a big PR guy. He's not out front and center all the time. Um, but I, I went away to go play in the USFL or sign a contract. Never actually played and. When the, the league uh, wasn't wasn't ready or was nearing an end, I went back to the Bengals. He welcomed me with open arms in 1988. Uh, I, I was sort of at the end of my career. Started law school. He let me miss morning meetings to go to law school classes, uh, and could not have been more warm and and uh, gracious when I walked into that practice the other day. So I, I really. I appreciate him. I always have. Uh, I'm happy for them. Uh, but the bizarre part about this game is that we probably, or I probably, had more relationships uh, with the Rams than I did the Bengals. I mean, I had never met the offensive or defensive coordinator before. I'd only met Zach Taylor a couple of times before. We hadn't done one of their games, you know, so it was it was a weird week for me that I had to do almost preparation with Bengals uh, because so much more about the Rams. We'll take the next question from the line of Mac Engel with the Fort Worth Star-Telegram. Please go ahead. Uh, guys, this is a question for Chris and for Al because you both live there. Al, I know it's been a long time, uh, but can you speak to what the Bengals' success 
and specifically this run, uh, would mean to that city because they haven't had a major championship since the Reds won the World Series in 91. What do you think it would mean to them uh, if they actually got this done? I'll go first, Mac. I, it's a great sports town. I don't, I don't have to tell you when I... You know, I was 26 years old. They go in to do the Cincinnati Reds. It's the original major league team. I mean, it, uh, Cincinnati is is baseball. And then when the Bengals came in in 1968 as an expansion team, had a lot of early success. And when I was there, I got, I got to go to a number of, uh, of Bengals games. And uh, the town was very excited uh, with, with football, with professional football. The fact that they went to two Super Bowls in the '80s was tremendous, and then you know through the years it's been it's been rough, even though they've made a lot of playoff appearances, and then finally they get over the hump. But uh, having spent three years there, I loved every moment of it. A fantastic sports town. But here's the man who can answer that best of all. Um, well, I don't live in Los Angeles, but I do know that this is a big story in Los Angeles as well. Uh, but in a few weeks or months or whatever, you're going to have the Academy Awards and you're going to have the Grammy Awards and you're going to have, there's always the Lakers, the Dodgers, and there's always something, right? There's always the next story. In Cincinnati, you can't imagine like right here, right now. The town is lit up in all orange imaginable. Uh, you, you turn on the nightly news and it's, it's the... It's the only story in some ways that uh, that is happening in this town. And I think for a Midwestern city, uh, when they get this kind of opportunity, when they get uh, the chance to go on the world stage in many ways for the first time in, in over 30 years, uh, that it's just there's a buzz and an excitement and, and a coming together for a city that can only happen when these sort of moments come along. So as happy as I am for the Cincinnati Bengals and their organization, I feel like I'm even happier for the town of Cincinnati because it really has galvanized. I, I think I think if Chris could have it back, he probably would be like, "Oh, I guess I should have mentioned AJ Green in that conversation about uh, uh, you know Isaac Curtis and Chad Johnson." Maybe maybe a mention of AJ Green, but that's 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 neither here nor there. Um, but I, what a what a wild thing for for Chris Collinsworth, who's who's going to be calling the Bengals in the Super Bowl thirty three years after he played in it for them. Um, Okay, let's. Jay, you asked for some run passer boots, and and you know you, people came through as they always do. So we're we're gonna try to to run through these right now uh, on a few topics for the game. Let's let's uh, you you kick it off. Let's roll. Okay, yeah, thank you for everyone. Uh, very short time frame to get them in. A lot of great submissions. A lot of really interesting ones involving announcers, involving Chris Collinsworth and what they might say or what they might show. Uh, I avoided those because we don't hear that. We would have to go back and listen to the entire game. We can't keep a track of those type of things as the game goes. So we've got I've got a, a high number one, a low number one, and a what is more likely one. So the first one from Brian Burning is what will be greater, combined field goal yardage, combined rushing yardage for all players, or T. Higgins slash Jamar Chase receiving yards? All right. I don't know. 
I think I think this one's easy, personally, because I, because of my view on how this game is going to unfold. Combined field goal yards, I'm running with. Yeah. I, I think there's going to be a bunch of field. Goals. I think this is going to be defenses that stand up in the red zone. I think it's going to be you know take every point you can get type of game. Um, and so I, I'm going to say combined field goal yards. I'm going to run with. I'm going to pass on Higgins Chase receiving yards um i think they'll have decent days i think they'll i think they'll they'll get theirs a little bit and i don't think either running game is going to do much um so i so i'm going to boot on combined rushing yards yeah i'm i'm the exact same to order for a lot of the reasons you said that i i don't think either even if they were playing mediocre run defenses, I don't know that we would see a lot of rushing yards in this game. And these are not mediocre rush defense. These are really good run defenses. So I, I do. I think it's going to be it's going to be tough sledding for Cam Akers, Joe Mixon, and the, the rest of anybody else that's handed a ball to run between the tackles. What do we got next? Okay, uh, this one was creative uh, from a guy with a creative name. His name's Jack. But his Twitter handle is Alpaca Death Trap. So that that immediately <laughs> attracted me. So uh, thank you, Jack, for this one. It's it's this is what a num- what will be greater, but it's a, it's a small number. So will it be Bengals fourth down attempts, McPherson made field goals, or Burrow completions of twenty plus yards? Okay, I I think that. This is this is a really good one. Uh, I, I have McPherson probably kicking. It's hard to say how could it not be four field goals, but <laughs> like I, I, it just feels like it has to be. So just so I'm gonna kind of stick with that number. Just it just it just feels right. Um, you know, Burrow completions over twenty plus yards absolutely could be. I mean, this could be four four four. Like I I could absolutely see it going that way. But I will I will go ahead and and run. Uh, with McPherson fuel goals, I will pass on Burrow completions of twenty plus yards, and I'll boot fourth down attempts. I do think there will be some, but I, you know, I think two, three is probably more likely than four or five. Uh, so I, I'll lean that way. But I, I could absolutely see a bunch. I mean, it's this is they're going to be they're going to be emptying it, emptying the tank here. So fourth downs are are you know they're going to be on the table in every way. Yeah, the, the fourth downs is really a wild card. I mean, you could see there being. Three, two or three fourth down attempts on the final drive of the game. If they're behind and they have to, and they have to go down and score, I mean, th- that's that's where Joe Burrow is at his best when it's all on the line and you got to have it. Um, so I could see them converting a couple, keeping the drive going, facing another fourth down. But I, I'm gonna run with Joe Burrow twenty plus completions. I mean, we've seen the, the P Ryan screen. We we've seen this, and we all know what Jamar Chase can do with the ball in his hands after he catches it. I don't know that he's going to be having a lot of completions with 20 air yards, but I, I think they're going to, they're going to have a handful of, of completions that, that cover 20 or more yards. So I'm, I'm going to run with that. I'll, I'll pass on the McPherson field goals. Um, I, I think he comes up short of the four. I think it's going to be three, which might give you a little hint on what my, my prediction is going to be later. Um, and then I'll, I'll boot the, the fourth down conversions as well. Okay. All right. And one more one more good one that's submitted. And then the the this last one is from PJ91 Gonzalez. Um what is more likely to occur? 
Aaron Donald gets zero sacks, Jamar Chase gets zero catches, or Matthew Stafford throws zero picks? Man, I mean, <laughs> two of these are almost impo- like almost impossible. Staff most likely to happen. Stafford throwing zero picks could definitely happen. I mean, you could. There's. I mean, he's a couple of his playoff games. He's already had zero picks. He's he's had a de- uh, some clean sheets in the playoffs. You could see Stafford having uh, a pretty good day. So I think Stafford being zero picks is is a thing that could happen. I mean. I, I guess Aaron Donald. I'm gonna. Say, I guess I'm gonna say Aaron Donald zero sacks, because um, I, I just don't see a world that Chase doesn't catch a ball in this game. Like that is just mm. if they got to the third quarter and Chase didn't have a catch, they would just throw a quick screen to get him involved. They would they would do something of that nature just to get him a touch and get him going and try to get him going. They would scheme up some things to get him going and get him into it. So. The, and but I mean, is Aaron? Donald, we really think they're going to pitch a shutout on Aaron Donald? No, but as far as total, I mean, it's not impossible. You only see in a great game, Donald would have three, four sacks, right? Like, I mean, it, it Chase, it, there's just no way. So, I, so I'm going to go stat down the line, Stafford, Chase, and then I, I guess I'll I guess I'll boot Donald. I'm going to run with Aaron Donald. I he's played nine career playoff games. And he has sacks in four of them. So, I mean, he, in playoff games, he's more likely to not get a sack than get one now. Those games were against much better offensive lines than what the Bengals have. But I, I could – I sacks are – look at the streak that Trey Hendrickson went on. I mean, it, it's – it happens. You have games where you could even, you can have a – you can be a good pass rusher and get good pressure – and not finish and not get a sack. Um, so I, I think that is the, the, the most likely to happen. Um, I, I would double boot Stafford picks and chase. I know we can't do that. So I'll pass on Stafford picks. I think he's going to throw at least one. And the, the prop bet on that is 0.5. And I would, I would hammer the over on that one. The Bengals defense has just been really good at getting picks, multiple picks in the last two games, at least one pick in the last four and five of the last six. I think they're going to make that happen. And then you're right. I'll, I, I'll, I will boot Jamar Chase getting zero catches. I just, I don't see a world where that happens unless he somehow reverts to, to training camp Jamar Chase and, and balls are going off his hands. And there's just, there's, there's no logical explanation for that even happening. Yeah. Uh, all right, and one last one that that you have, Jay. Yeah, the one I came up with is uh, who wins Super Bowl MVP: Joe Burrow, Matthew Stafford, or the field. I, I'm going to run with Joe Burrow. I mean, if the Bengals win, he's just going to get it. It's like when the year that the Patriots came back from 28 to three down against the Falcons and James White had like 14 receptions for a ton of yards and like the game winning touchdown, all this. And and there's Brady holding the MVP trophy. And it's like, (laughs) look, look, I'm not going to say that I may have had a long shot flyer on James White to win MVP for a lot of money, but that one personally irked me is all I'm going to say. But you, you don't, forget that's just what how this thing ends up like the burrow is too big of a a factor uh barring like jesse bates having two interceptions and one of them for a pick six or something like that i mean 
it's you almost have to assume it's going to be Burrow. So I'm running. I'm going to run with Burrow. I'm going to pass on the field because I think there's a better chance that you see if the Rams win a, a a defensive player, a Donald or a Von Miller or something like that. Um, then then St- I think people will be quicker to not give Stafford the credit if that makes sense. And so, especially if he has an interception or two. Um, so. I'm going to actually boot Matt Stafford on this one, which is a weird thing to do because it's like mm. a tip, typically a quarterback award, but that's where I'm going with it. Yeah, I'm booting Stafford too. The quarterback of the team favored to win, and I'm booting him as the, the MVP yeah. likelihood. I'm going to run with field just on sheer numbers. I mean, 90 of the 92 players dressed can win it. And yes, it is a quarterback award, but we have seen other players win it. I, I mean, if, if, We've hinted at this. If, if this game plays out where Evan McPherson's kicking three or four field goals in a one or two or from 50 beyond, it could be him. I mean, it was going to be Jim Breach in Super Bowl 23 until Joe Montana drives him 92 yards for the game-winning touchdown with 34 seconds left. I, I, I It would just be a – what a crazy story if if – a rookie kicker won Super Bowl MVP. But again, it could be Aaron Donald. It could be Trey Hendrickson. It could be, like you said, Jesse Bates gets a pick six, maybe two. There's just so many possibilities that I'm going to run with the field. I'll pass on Burrow and then I'm booting Stafford too. I just, I don't know. I It, it sounds crazy that, to be the favorite to win and be a quarterback, but I just don't, I don't think that one's as likely. All right, let's just take a quick break. You did it. You mentioned Super Bowl twenty three in thirty four seconds. I mean, you know, summoning the names of Montana and the Taylor. Uh, I, the big pick. There's a lot of the big picture of this run that is interesting. I I really enjoyed the conversation I had with Robert Mays about this, which was a chance to kind of step back and, and see it through a broader view. And uh, so we wanted to bring that conversation to you. Uh, so here, this is myself, Robert Mays, uh, on Radio Row from this week. Um, talking about sort of just this whole Bengals big picture. And then we'll, we'll come back after that. We'll get into some props and some growler bets and predictions and all that stuff. The Bengals are playing in the Super Bowl, so you're here. So we've reached the point where I said I was going to be comfortable saying that sentence. <laughs> I said, look, just get me to Wednesday of actual Super Bowl week, and I'll be comfortable saying the Cincinnati Bengals are playing in, in the Super Bowl. I'm not there yet. It's still not quite real that we're talking about this team playing in the Super Bowl, but I, I think I can get there by Friday. We had, I've, you've been obviously been on the show several times this year. And one of the reasons that we've been on each other's shows and we've had so many conversations over the last 12 months or so is that the Bengals have been fascinating in a broader sense. Yeah. You know, you wrote today in the, in the piece that you did about their scouting staff, which we'll dig into here in a second, just about how many debates have gone on, <laughs> both within the Bengals building, but then just about the Bengals, period. So you and I, you know, going back to April, May, had some conceptual conversations about the Bengals. I remember sitting in the press box at Paul Brown Stadium, and you and I talked about just what their philosophy was and how they built this thing and what like the best version of this team was. You came on early in the season when it seemed like they were kind of outperforming expectations. At no point... During any of those conversations, did I think you and I would be sitting here no. right now, even if early in the season there was some building optimism about what this team could end up being? No, you're right. And I think there is a moment um, in week seven 
in Baltimore. And I, I'm, you know, the, the world of everything being captured on the sideline and mic'd up is so great because we caught the moment that Joe Burrow realized he could be here. Yeah. It was there on the sideline in Baltimore, and he's talking to T. Higgins, but there's a circle of people. He's talking to no one in particular. He just says it out loud. He says, if we can win this division, we can win it all. We can win the whole thing. And he walks off with that look we've all seen now. Yeah. And right then, it has never left me since the moment he said it that day. I wrote about it the next day. I was like, Joe Burrow just realized he can, he can do it with this group. And, and they won that day 41-17. to 17. They were 5-2. and two, And they've had fits and starts since then that have really been kind of a really interesting path. But that was when you – everything before that, that seemed like a pipe dream. And Burrow admitted it just a couple weeks ago. He said, look, before the season started, I would have said, man, it, it – it would be crazy that we would yeah, there's no way we're gonna make it to the Super Bowl with this group. He wanted <laughs> he wanted to like get a winning record, get into the playoffs. They were maybe. they picked the top five the last two seasons. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> but it, it's so I mean he you know he he that never thought he even he, the most optimistic I can do anything was like if we can get in the playoffs and maybe win a game and end that drought thing, that'd be great. Yet here they are. And but since that moment, I don't think they've ever they have felt that this is a pipe dream at that point, but it did take that prove that proving ground early in the season uh, to show that they that maybe they could do this. So we're going to talk today, which I should have done at the beginning of this, about how the Rams and the Bengals got here, what their paths were to this point, and you and Jordan Rodriguez just have such an intimate knowledge of everything about these franchises, and I wanted to dig into that with you. So let's start with Joe Burrow, because if you're looking at the Bengals' just journey to this moment and what other teams can take from it, and how you can... Because that's always what happens, right? How do these teams got here? How What can we learn from it? In the Bengals situation, I think there's some things we can learn. I think there are some things that it's just looking into Joe Burrow. Getting to that point, when you lose, what, two games? Or win two games the year before, you get the number one pick in a year with a transformative type of quarterback. So just walk me through, in your opinion, as someone who's covered this team for a long time, what is different now? about the Bengals because Joe Burrow is there? Belief. I mean, there was no belief forever. I mean, there was the belief that existed in the building, uh, in the organization, in, in the city, was one of waiting for the other shoe to drop. What's going to go wrong now? How is this going to fail? The Bengals are just this entity. That's, they're not great corporate citizens. They're cheap and whatever. It's just a matter of time till they lose and break our hearts and whatever. Then when Burrow came, it wasn't that. It wasn't, is this the time that my heart breaks? It's no, this is the time that Joe Burrow comes out of the tunnel. And, and that belief has captured the team. It has captured the city. And, he, and it's, it's not like he came in and gave a speech. It's not like, you know, I think this is enough has been said and written and people have knowledge of now how he sort of does this. It's insane, the parallels. I was just on our, our Hold That podcast, the LSU podcast, uh, with, with Brody Miller yesterday. The parallels between how he did it yep. at LSU and in capturing the team, the program, the state, and how he has done it in Cincinnati just with this very down-to-earth, hard work, but insane confidence in himself that everybody reaches onto, toughness that every person that's associated with football loves and admires and wants to follow. He's not a rah-rah guy. He's not, you know, but he has an innate incredible, instinctual sense of people, 
what people need, what people want to hear, how to be a leader. He grew up the son of a coach. He, he understands that. And he understands that how a quarterback can instill that and has done it now in two different places using the same method. And then he becomes this quirky fashion guy with the glasses and people love how unique he is. And He's the everybody, most confident person I've ever seen in my entire life. It's, un, it, it, it's unbelievable. And I was talking to Brian Callahan last week and for a story I'm hopefully going to write later this week. And we were discussing just, okay, how does it manifest when you have this sort of presence? Like we can talk about it in these nebulous terms, but concretely, what do you see? And he was talking about it as earned confidence. Like Joe has earned confidence because of the work that he puts in. And we were talking about the parallels to the Joe Burrow coming into Cincinnati situation. And when he was in Denver and Peyton Manning got there. Right, So obviously, very different points in their career. Joe Burrow's a rookie. Peyton Manning is already one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time by the time he gets to Denver. So when Manning gets to Denver, everything changes because everyone in the organization looks at the quarterback always and says, okay, where can the quarterback take us? With Peyton, it's instantaneous. From the moment he is there, everyone in the organization looks to him as this kind of beacon. With Joe, it obviously, you have to show it. You have to prove to people that you are that guy. But it didn't take long for him to prove to people that he was that guy. So then everybody in the organization, your understanding of what is possible changes. And when your understanding of what is possible changes, what you expect of yourself every day, how you come to work, it just, it gets into the fabric of who you are. And this is how it works with all quarterbacks. But I think with this franchise who's been looking for one, Andy Dalton was what he was, right? Like there, I think that, in my opinion, contrasting the previous version of this team that could have won a Super Bowl, like that 2015 roster, and you look at how well built it was and how complete it was. Andy Dalton was merely a cog in that machine. When you removed him, and it all kind of fell apart that season. Joe Burrow is not a cog in the machine. He is the engine that drives this entire thing. And that distinction, I think, you can feel how different that is. Yeah, because nothing creates true belief like the quarterback. Yes. Because he is the only one that can really change everything on the field. You can have all the A.J. Greens and Mosa News and Marvin Joneses and Tyler Eiperts and Andrew Whitworths. I could go on and on on that team. Team was they, awesome. They were team, so good. They were so good. <laughs> you can have all those guys you want. If you don't have the quarterback to really drive you all the way, it's really, really, really hard to do. You know, Burrow came in, and because like we say he has such a good sense of dy- human dynamics, he was reticent to be the leader leader. You had AJ Green here and here's Geno Atkins and guys that have been here yeah. for 10 years. 10 years. And, and and he knows I'm not going to come in here and tell these guys what to do. They knew for him and all the guys they have now since added over these two years that they thought were really good leaders from winning programs and winning other winning teams in the NFL to truly take over and change the culture. They had to clear the decks. And that was really the biggest part of this offseason that happened that people don't talk about. They have a lot of respect for those players. They love those players, but they knew this new generation could never take over if Giovanni Bernard and these guys were really still there because everyone would say, okay, it's your locker room. Now, it's Joe Burrow's locker room. It's Von Bell's locker room. It's Jesse Bates's locker room because they feel like they have ownership of it. And that has really been what's taken off this culture that, no joke, I have never seen anything like it. So I want to go back to what you said a little bit earlier about the Bengals are cheap, right? Because for a long, long time, you'd have conversations with other people in the league. I remember I was in Minnesota the day that A.J. Green got hurt on that piece of shit college field that they were playing that training camp practice on. Welcome stadium in Dayton. Yes, 14-year-old turf. Yeah, yes. so <laughs> we, I was having a conversation with a coach in Minnesota, and we were talking about what the Bengals would do that year because it's like, all right, well, this is over. 
right? Like this version of it, whatever it was with AJ Green and Andy Dalton is over. Do they try to trade Andy Dalton? What do they do? And he stopped me and he was like, you're ascribing normal thinking to the Bengals. <laughs> and he wasn't even being mean. No, it's not. He wasn't even being they mean. They operate differently. He was like, it is just a different, they do things differently there. And that's how it always was. And, and I want to talk about kind of the nuances of that because it's not a negative or positive value kind of proposition that you're talking about. It's just a different way of doing it. They were successful for a while. They went to the playoffs consistently. They won a lot of games under Marvin Lewis. I want to talk about how things have shifted in terms of the way they do business mm-hmm. over the last three years. When they opened the checkbook in the spring of 2020 mm-hmm. and they signed DJ Reader to that deal and they signed Trey Waynes to that deal, it was shocking because for years, the free agent classes were, let's re-sign Bobby Hart. Like, that was what the free agent classes <laughs> Don't do like. that to Bengals fans, But it's Robert. true. But that's what it was. For years, that's <laughs> yes. what it was. Yes. So I want to talk about why, how that change happened. Why do you think that change in philosophy and change in methodology happened? And who do you think is responsible for it? And when did it start? I think it started when Zach Taylor showed up. Okay. I mean, I, I think there was a sense of when they, when they ended the, the Marvin Lewis era, you know, there's... So much of what we're talking about, cheapness is the word that gets used. There's a a sense of old school family loyalty that exists with Mike Brown and the organization. They just have a sense of taking care of the people that they've brought in. And they 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 don't like the cutthroat, nasty, impersonal faceless nature of the current NFL business structure. They didn't, they never, they still don't like that. I think when Zach Taylor came in and essentially convinced them, and, and not that Duke needed it, but I think Duke Tobin maybe came a little bit more to the forefront of wanting to go that route was because he's a he, you got to operate this way. This team is in his way. fabric, right? Yeah, he's been is, here for twenty years. Duke Tobin had never sat in front of us until the day they had a press conference announcing Zach Taylor. They wanted Duke next to Mike Brown on the podium. This was his guy. This was his hire. This is the first time we're putting Duke Tobin out here as no longer, we're not going to say the title, but you can take de facto off GM. It should have been done 10 years ago, but that's fine. This is us saying, here he is at the press conference between Mike and Zach. This is him, right? And 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 we're turning it over. And, and the, what Zach Taylor and that staff brought in was, look, guys, you're not going to win in this league if you don't get into free agency. You, draft, develop and, develop, and retain is the ultimate model. Everybody knows that. But where we're at, where this, if you're going to gut this, they were the thing, worst right? drafting team in the league for five years. For five years before, <laughs> and but I would say the best drafting team in the league the five years prior to that. Yes, oh nine to thirteen was one of the greatest runs you'll ever see. Hundred percent. Fourteen to eighteen was one of the worst. It was incredible. But, but that, that happens, right? In the it, NFL, it cycles. It's every team is going to have fallow periods when it comes to drafting. The yeah. Seahawks were the greatest drafting team of all time. They built the defining team of a decade of football because of like three drafts from 2010 through 2012. And then inevitably, because no one is good at this, you're going to have those little dips. And the Bengals had to supplement that with outside players, but they were never willing to do that before. And I think that if you look at the way they've built this defense, if they don't change the way that they think, if they don't say we're going to be able to go out, we're we're willing to go outside the building to add talent, they're not here because the defense is built entirely 
through free agency outside of two guys. Yeah. And Logan Wilson, I guess, is a third. I mean, Jermaine Pratt. So like maybe four guys. You have four homegrown guys, and the rest are free agents. It's insane. Yeah, well, and I think it was, I think there was always maybe a willingness to do it if they had to, but they never felt like they had to. They always, I always said they always overvalued their own players. I don't, they ever knew, I don't think they ever really properly understood the market of their own guys because it's like they were like their kids. They loved them more yeah. than anybody else could. And it resulted in things like Bobby Hartson that you mentioned in Of the World. There were a lot of those. It, and I think it takes somebody else coming in from the outside. It's a great point. Not valuing these guys the same way and understanding what else you can get to come in and reset it. The thing for me going forward will be, and not to spin it forward past Super Bowl, but is like, will they now go back to now these are our guys? And how long will they be trying to recreate 2021 over and over again the same way they spent 16, 17, and 18 trying to recreate 15? Yeah. And and you at a certain point, you have to move on and, and, and see the proper value. I don't know if how much they will i don't think we'll see two-year spending sprees in free agency like we just saw from them again you don't want them no you don't want to they don't do need that them, and they don't need them <laughs> and, and so I, I don't you know i don't think we'll see that that said they the willingness to go out there and do it and do it with the success rate that you just don't see in free agency is truly a remark, remarkable thing everything had to fall almost perfectly into place for them to be in this spot and and it has I feel it. So looking at just the overall structure of the organization, this is just knowledge you have that very few people do. My understanding is that some of the family members, Katie Blackburn, yeah. is, is, so I'm just trying to think of the names. Some of the, the family members associated with the Brown family, some of the younger ones have gotten more say and have become more prominent in the way the organization runs. Do you think that's influenced kind of whatever modern feel the Bengals have started to develop, just the way that the voices are in that building? More on the uh, marketing side. Okay. So, like, I think operationally, I mean, Duke, M- Mike Brown sort of pushed the daily day to day operations to the side a decade ago. I yeah. Mean, it, this has been Duke and Katie and Troy Blackburn. Uh, Katie, his his daughter, and then Paul Brown as well as the son, have been kind of running the show for a long time on the football side. What is interesting has happened because uh, only can happen in the Bengals is Elizabeth Blackburn, Katie's daughter, who is in her late twenties. That's that's what I'm thinking. Has come in and headed as director of strategy and engagement, and said, Grandpa. Look, your franchise, no one, it's, you need to figure it out. You need a ring of honor. You need to have social media. Your game day needs to be a show. This is entertainment. Mike Brown is Paul Brown. Football is yeah, all that yeah, matters. Yeah. And the stadium seats will be green and because of the color of the field. And we're going to play the game. And everyone's going to think that that's the entertainment. And they're going to leave after that. And that's what football is. No. And here's the thing. Mike Brown said this before the season started. He said, he said, you know, Elizabeth came in and got all these things, and everybody else in the building is scared of me except for her. <laughs> she is probably the only person on earth that could get Mike to finally come around on all of these things because you can't say no to your granddaughter. Yeah. And that w- and it's so people said, well, she's so young. That's a job that people work their whole careers and never get to. How can this 20-some-year-old person come in? And when actuality, she's the only person on earth that could do that job and have had the success they have to re-engage, reconnect with a fan Base that didn't just have dislike them was apathetic towards them at this point. Whatever, Bengals. And now it's the exact opposite. They've never been more connected. The city's never been more alive in support of the Bengals. And so much of it is the team, is Burrow, but is also aligning everything else so when the moment comes, they're properly prepared to be really engaged. And it's just fu- it's funny because you need that outside perspective, right? Even though she's in the family, it is a new perspective. And it's the same. You forget how long Marvin was there. 
16 you just, years. You just forget how long he was there. And you just saying, like, Zach getting there and being someone who came from somewhere else, had a different viewpoint, said, maybe we should try this, some of this stuff. You can feel how different that is. And the reason this all works is the Burrow side of this, getting Jamar Chase with the fifth overall pick, and the way they've built the defense. And I think that is, as I step back and I think about this, and I think what aspects of this are replicable, what are things that you can take away? The thing I keep coming back to is looking at the types of players they went after in free agency on defense, where the price ranges are in those guys. There is a Chidobia Wuzier and a Von Bell available in every single free agent class. You can find those guys. You have to pay a premium for a DJ reader when you would chase a guy like that or a Trey Hendrickson. But there are aspects of this where the way they've built this thing, the personalities, how smart those guys are, the way that's all come together, to me, that's the most fascinating part of what this team is because it doesn't require getting the number one overall pick in a year where the greatest college quarterback of the last 15 years comes out. You know, it's the interesting conversation that I've seen, whether in the comments or responses to the scouting stories. Oh yeah. How about this? Uh, You luck into Joe Burrow because you stink so much. (laughs) Yeah. Absolutely. Obviously, like there is, this doesn't isn't happening. We're not talking about these slick moves if they went seven and ten with some <laughs> other quarterback. But it's it, it, so yes, there is a total luck element to building that. But you have to get out of the way. You have to understand how to let Joe Burrow do his thing, what leadership looks like, and what he needs to complement him. Let's not act like it was like oh yeah, draft Burrow, draft Chase. Like we didn't spend six months talking about Chase versus Sewell and how to build this thing and the decisions are every spot is its own decision its own right so yes you get burrow a lot of people have gotten good quarterbacks how many times have has it come across like this sometimes but we haven't seen anything like this and the defense took them here like let's just be honest like the defense is the reason they're here because the way the defense played over the the step the step this team was supposed to take this year of making the playoffs and maybe winning a game is is uh, is augmented by the defense. They're here because the defense took them that extra two rounds because they weren't good enough offensively yet because of their line to get to the next step to carry them. The defense carried them the rest of the way. Something I like to ask somebody who covers the team day to day is just who are we not talking about enough? Like who are the unsung heroes in your opinion of this Bengals season that are the at its core a couple of the reasons that they're here but aren't on my mind. Sam Hubbard. That's uh, a really good one. Look, they people don't. I mean, when they drafted Burrow, um, it, the year they were going to draft Burrow, H- Hubbard and Burrow are great friends since back in their Ohio State days so together. Bur- uh, Hubbard goes to Miami Super Bowls in Miami that year. Burrow's doing the rounds as the Heisman guy. They hung out all week. They went like fishing together and hung out together and started to build the literal core. There's a reason that the two of them went out for the coin toss in Kansas City. The literal core of the next generation started, and Hubbard was a big part of they've they, They've kind of viewed the two of those guys as like defense, offensive, really quiet leadership, hardworking, does everything the right way every day, relentless in practice, relentless in meetings. We want both sides of the ball to be based around that, to look like that. We want guys that play like that and think like that. Those two, you know, Hubbard is the other side of it. He doesn't get a lot of shine because he's not really a pass doesn't. rusher. He, he's a, he picks up scraps that is created. He does weird roles, like he's yeah. a spy in certain situations. Yeah. Like it just they they in the, the Oakland game they had him lined up off the ball. I mean the sack he had, he was lined up as an off ball linebacker. It just he plays this kind of I don't know the. 
there are not a lot of there's not a lot of rigidity to the role that he plays. He does no. a lot of different things for them. Yeah, well, and and he's a, like a run stopper, yeah. like a great run stopper. And so there's a selflessness to like he's he's not kind of this when you think of great edges, but he is really the the personality that he plays with and the tenacity and kind of energy that he plays with feeds everyone. And that's kind of what's defined that defense, right? Flying after the ball, always chasing a pass when it gets deflected and able to be there to get the pick. It's been a big part of what they do as a whole. So, I mean, I think he's probably one that I would point to. What aspect of this, when it comes to the city, the fan base, watching how Cincinnati has reacted to this team will stick with you the longest? As much as this season, for on a national perspective, has been about Burrow and has and and everything he is and has become and and the fun Cinderella story of the Bengals, for those inside the city, I grew up there. I understand the dynamics of the team in the city probably as well as anybody. This season will always be about this city coming alive. It will always be about this thing that has been created during this run because it will never be like this again. Yeah, you know, you only if, get one first. You time. only get one first time yeah. breaking through with the new group and the fun new guy, and they've been. This it's not just the Bengals. The Reds last advanced in the postseason in 1995. No, but there is a generation of Cincinnati sports fans that have never experienced success in the postseason ever. Yeah, and this year has been so special for that group of people who are 30, right? Who are just now learning what it's like when the Cincinnati. It's a great sports town, but it's just been so beaten down to now suddenly the fabric of it, of how they define themselves is changed because they believe that Joe Burrow is going to come out of the tunnel now. And it just doesn't feel like you're waiting for Carson Palmer's injury or Kenyon Martin's leg or Andy Dalton's thumb or Johnny Cueto's oblique or any millions of things that have killed great runs in the past. Are, it's like they're washed away and you're starting over and you now understand that being a sports fan is fun. Yeah. It's not something that you beat yourself up about and complain about ownership every week. It's fun. It can create unbelievable moments and connections between fans, between fathers and sons and daughters and and friends and neighbors. And the videos that have come out of all of these special events have been like just to me, that's been the story. That has been the story of what's happened inside of the city of Cincinnati, whether they win Sunday or not. I mean, no one can ever take that away. They may come back. It'll never feel like this again. It'll never be as special as this has been for the city, and that's what I'll take away. I, I totally understand that. This is, these are the moments and these are the reasons that being a sports fan is worth it. Yep. It's for, it, it's for these sorts of payoffs. It's for these sorts of connections. It's to be able to enjoy it. We, we said it earlier this year. It's like, this is why you endure all that shit. <laughs> this is why you go through it is for this. Yeah. It, it'd be great to win. Uh, it'd be so special if they won for all of those people. But even to get to this point is pretty remarkable. Paul, it's so great to chat with you. It always is. Sincerely yep. appreciate the time. And uh, we'll see you the rest of the week here. Looking forward to it, Robert. All right, it was great joining uh, Robert on the Athletic NFL Football Show. Again, if you're if you're not subscribed to that on iTunes or Spotify or whatever, getting that in your feed, you should. It's it's awesome stuff, and you know it's a great chance if you want to go on and listen to that full episode. You can hear the full conversation and the conversation with Jordan Rodriguez covering the Rams to get a full sense of the Rams side of thing before the Super Bowl. That episode is is up there, and and you know we're glad we could bring you that portion of it here uh, on HTPG. All right, Jay, everybody loves props. Everybody loves 
throwing a few wagers down uh and this is probably gonna be the most betted on super bowl because everybody's got such easy access to it god bless america uh and so let's pick a few of our favorites for people to maybe get in on the right side of i have my top three favorite super bowl prop bets that i like um and you have picked the three that you like the most let's run through them one at a time jay you start with your with what you've got first one of what your number one uh, my number one is Joe Mixon over 93 and a half scrimmage yards. Mm. I, I, this game could look a lot like that Tennessee game where, where Burrow's under a lot of pressure. And, and Mixon had six catches in that game. Um, his last two playoff games, he's had 115 and 105 scrimmage yards. Um, and if it if it plays out, where the Bengals get the lead and and they're running him a lot in the fourth quarter, the rushing yards could be higher than expected. I just I, I feel like this is going to be a Joe Mixon game, whether it be design passes to him or checkdowns because Aaron Donald's breathing down Joe Burrow's neck. Um, I I I think ninety three point five is is almost a gimme. Don't don't go bet money. And come find me if you lose. But I really really like that one. Man, I would ne- I would not have gone there. I I, I don't. That doesn't feel no. like a gimme to me. Well, I I think that's going to come down to Joe Mixon busting a screen. I fully expect to see lots of screens and and stuff to keep them off balance uh, on early downs, particularly early in the game. And and they've busted some screens in recent weeks. And so, will they be able to break one out? Will it come to Mixon? I mean, P Ryan had the had one of the big ones uh, against Kansas City. So it. it that would be the game changer for that bet. So you're betting on them doing it again for basically, you know, third, fourth week in a row, whatever it is now. They've had really good screens going. So um, that's probably the side of that because it ain't going to come from rushing yards. I mean, maybe. Maybe maybe he can break one out. But I, I wouldn't feel as gimme as you do on that one. My gimme is Joe Burrow rushing yards yep. over <laughs> 11 and a half. If we know anything about what we've seen of Burrow lately, what we've seen of him in big games in college, when he it's when it's pull out the stops time and he's done this so much more, it's get out there, scramble and run. He's gonna be running for his life. He's gonna scramble. Eleven and a half yards. Mm-hmm. I mean, even if he just avoids three or four sacks and turns those into a one or two yard game, not counting when he goes and busts one for five or 10 yards into some space because he's unaccounted for or more in one run, even he could pull that off. That was such a low, jarringly low number for me. Uh, I think the gimme bet is Burrow rushing yards over 11 and a half. That was my number two. So I'm glad now that I, I get to pick one of the other ones I really liked. <laughs> um, uh, what's another one? My, my next one, this is one of those yes or no's. And this is, it, 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 you can get it, the yes, at plus 230. And it's will the Bengals score in every quarter? And it sounds hard to do against a good defense in the Super Bowl. The Bengals have scored in every quarter this postseason including overtime. So 13 going back to the regular season, it's 16 quarters in a row that they've scored in and 24 of 25. I think there's great value. Even if it's just McPherson kicking a field goal, we know how good they are in the Morrison minutes at the end of the first half. I I think there's a really good chance that they'll put up, they'll they'll come up with at least one score in all four quarters and you can get it at plus two thirty. 
that's a nice value. I, I that twenty four out of twenty five number is something I was not not really totally aware of. You don't you don't notice it as you go through it, especially because there's so many field goals involved. But um, great point. That's a that's a good one there. Um, another one with some value is I'm surprised that they had this as the one that was getting the juice at plus one hundred instead of Joe Burrow at minus one forty. First interception thrown. Matt Stafford getting plus 100. You're getting juice on that. So, hey, I, I mean, Joe Burrow th- has hardly thrown an interception. Like, he just doesn't He doesn't really do it anymore. I mean, he's had the bad luck one. Um, of, I mean, he had the one in Kansas City and then the, the one off the hands of Samaj P. Ryan. So they've happened. Um, but for the most part, he's been so secure with the ball, so good at that. Um the idea that Stafford wouldn't be the one to throw the interception, I think just even for a little bit of value that you get there is is a good play because it really feels like like he'll be the one. It could be wrong. could be pressure and then a ball gets tipped or whatever. I'm sure that's what they're banking on with this line, but I like, I like first interception thrown Matt Stafford at plus 100. I, my next one, and – it's a 50-50 prop if even one happens for them to get it. But I, I just love this one. Will there be a two-point conversion? And you can get yes at plus 260. And the reason I love this is we've talked about this. We've mentioned so many times. You have two great kickers in this game. There, there, I, I feel like there's going to be a lot of field goals. And when that happens, that sets up for 14 to 6, 21 to 13, 28 to 20 type of margins where if somebody scores, it's going to make sense that you go for two. And two creative play callers with we saw the the play the Bengals tried it out with Trent Taylor to hit the two-point conversion against the Chiefs. I just I feel like there is a really really good chance that that we see a, a two-point conversion in this game and, and plus 260 is that again, that's a lot of value for that, that. That almost feels more like a a plus one hundred, a, a plus one forty type of bet. But they've got it at plus two sixty, so I, I I love this one. That is a good one. Um, I will round it out with Chase targets over eight. Mm-hmm. I, I, they are not going to hold back on throwing the ball to Jamar Chase. Like it won't matter that Jalen Ramsey's on him. We, we've seen games where Chase hasn't had a ton of targets, um, but in this game, especially how Burrow likes to rely on just throwing it to Chase when under pressure uh, with those the quick hits or whatever, you know, and they're they're going to have a, a desire to get him involved. They're going to be scheming targets for him. I don't. I would be stunned if we saw a world not not that Chase would have huge numbers. I mean, the big numbers may came come from Higgins or wherever. I think they're going to throw it a lot still, and I'd just be stunned to see a world where they where Chase was involved to a point that he he didn't get eight targets um, in this game. And maybe it's it, it's possible, but I like I really like Chase targets over eight. I think he's going to be heavily involved uh, in in this one. I do too. Let's I, go. I, I, look, go ahead. No, I was just gonna say I, I I really do like that one. And you 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 take into account maybe they do some of those those jet sweep pop passes where you get some free target that way. Um it's maybe it does it maybe it looks bleak at halftime. Maybe they do start hitting Boyd and Higgins early and and, and let Jalen Ramsey 
do his his work on Chase, but if if the Bengals are behind, he's easily hitting eight. And if they're winning and succeeding and and playing really well on offense, it's going to be because Jamar Chase is involved. So both ways, however this game plays out, it, it feels like he can get to that eight. All right, um, you mentioned Jalen Ramsey. Um, I know Bengals fans have no love lost uh, for Jalen Ramsey uh, for what happened in Jacksonville with A.J. Green. And one of the craziest things I've ever seen on a football field uh, just because of who it was. But I, I, I talked to Andrew Hawkins. I, I walked down to the JW Marriott where he was doing an NFL Network availability, and nobody else could get down there because it was too far to go. Uh, but I, I, So I basically was able to kind of sit down with him the whole time uh, and, and chatted it up. So he, he really interesting stuff, and, and Hawk is so good, and he's just – become a mogul like he's so big time now uh with what he's he's done in media done in his own way and you know he's he's kind of he's feeling the Bengals and, and talks about being a little bit of emotional watching this because one of the reasons he loved going to cleveland was because of that underdog nature of being a part of a team that can break it through and that that this the 11 to 15 group Watching this group, I just find kind of fascinating because they all thought this was going to be them, the one to do this and flip the city on its head, and they never did. Um, and so it was a, a fun conversation with Andrew Hawkins. I want to bring that to you, and we will come back with growler bet and predictions and all that good stuff. So here's uh, from NFL Network, former Bengal and Brown, Andrew Hawkins. You guys, with your group chat, all of you guys, AJ, Mark, yeah. everybody, what's this like for you guys? You guys thought this was going to be you that made this run, yeah. that made that set the city on fire. Uh-huh. Is it is it weird? Do you, are you guys? I know you're probably happy for this city, but is it yeah. is it odd seeing that? God, I wish this would have been the one that we would. Does it bring those old feelings back? I think anybody who uh, hasn't played in the Super Bowl wants to play in the Super Bowl, right? And especially when you see Cincinnati doing it, yeah. I, I would have. I, I mean, I haven't talked with the guys about it, you know, collectively. But I, I feel like, of course, they wanted. They would love to have been a part of the team that that, that made that happen. Um, but I also know that they're like extremely excited for the city, right? And the team is because one thing that I think about Cincinnati is there's such a. You know, because there's only six, six scouts, right? And because the market is probably one of the smaller markets, you know, in the NFL, and there is such a f- uh, familial feel to playing for Cincinnati that all of us guys have played a lot of places. You know, Marvin Jones has played with like three teams now. Mohamed Sanu is, you know, uh, played in Super Bowl with the Falcons, right? Like. They, we all still feel like Bengals, right? And it's because, you know, you're at this place together where you really truly grow up. You know, you get to know a lot about yourself that you go out and, you know, perform in other places as well. But it's like you'll always be Bengals because it, it was such an integral part of our careers. And, you know, we were setting out to do something nobody expected. I think we were better than people expected at the times I was there, but at the same time, it was like... 
man, how cool would it have been to be to be this team and do what they did now yeah. back then, right? You guys, I mean, even then, you guys probably always felt like the forgotten team in the league, right? I mean, even though you guys were good and you were there every year in the playoffs, <laughs> yeah. it was like people would constantly just kind of brush it aside. That's yeah. kind of the crazy thing about this team is like they kind of, that still existed for them, but they just blew right through Yeah, they, 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 they <laughs> broke the ceiling on it, man. And yeah. that's, I mean, we had home playoff games that I don't even know if we sold out, you know what I mean? And so... Yeah. Um, again, going from the little kid that was rooting for the Bengals in the middle of Steeler country with two win and three win seasons to going to the playoffs, that was like the Super Bowl to me. Like, I couldn't believe I was on a Bengals team that was in the playoffs. And, you know, to see them take the next step of really blowing this out. Man, I, I, I was a kid, I remember trying to buy Bengals gear anywhere and everywhere. And it, you couldn't find it. You could not. I'm telling you, like, we'd go on vacations here. And obviously being in Pennsylvania or anywhere, like, you could not get a Bengals T-shirt. Because they just didn't put it. It's really cool. I cannot believe I'm. It's wild walking in downtown L.A. and see Bengals everywhere. Everywhere, right? Like, the center of the football universe, man. That is such a, a damn cool thing that, you know... Yeah, I, I mean, I was a little emotional when they when they won that that Chiefs game. I could not believe it. Like it's like, do you think that's partially just the the attitude that that Burrow brings off? Like the because you had a, a ton of good Bengals teams back in the day, you uh, consistently making the playoffs. Mm-hmm. But you're right that that type of, of feeling wasn't around. Is it uh, just following the quarterback and how swaggy he is? Yeah, I, I think that uh, I think there is a building process to these things. Right? Um, I remember in 2011, this is when Carson refused to come to camp, right? He was trying to do, to get out of it. Andy Dalton was the second round pick. I remember, I think his first, who was his first game? Maybe, maybe the Lions? Dalton's first game? Yeah, preseason game. Oh, preseason. Oh, preseason game. Yeah, true. And it was, it was horrendous. And I think he actually went out with an injury. And it was like, oh man, I don't know what we're going to do as a team. AJ was a freak from day one. Yeah. You know, but I think like publicly it was like, yeah, no one was expecting Dalton to be, you know, and then I think that kind of, there was no pressure on us. And we're like, yeah, let's just go play. And we were a playoff team when no one expected it. And then we get Marv and Mo and some other pieces. And then we go to the playoffs again. And then a third time. And then they continue to go. And it, I think after a while they understood, well, this is a pretty good team. And it was, it was surprising. And there was like some level of, man, they've done better than what we expected. Um, but it's like you still want to get over that hump. Well, I think with this team, we were young and we didn't know what we didn't know. We didn't know we weren't supposed to go to the playoffs that year. That we got rid of Ocho and Terrell Owens and Carson Palmer and there, somehow we were going to be better. Like we didn't know that. No one expected it. We were too young to understand that we're not supposed to be in that position. Well, I think there's some elements to this team now that there's they don't know what they don't know. They don't know that they weren't supposed to be in the Super Bowl, that they were, weren't supposed to have this success at their early age. But at the same time, there was enough of a history to know that going to the playoffs wasn't enough because of the teams that we had. Like, so the success measure wasn't going to the playoffs anymore. It's like, hey, we got we to gotta break beyond. Now, if they won that one playoff game, 
and lost to the Titans, it'd still be a celebration in Cincinnati. We got over the hump. If they lost the AFC Championship to, to Patrick Mahomes, it would have been like, man, but imagine what our future is. And now here they are. So the expectation is going to climb, and you're going to have this team in place, and it's going to be it's going to be awesome next year to hear all the preseason picks of people saying, well, you got to pencil the Bengals back into the Super Bowl, right? And the expectation grow, and it's just going to be this is going to be a wild ride for everyone, an exciting ride, but it's going to be really cool to be a part of. Let me let me give you one chance before I go. Uh huh. You know you're close with AJ. Yeah. Jalen Ramsey is not beloved in Cincinnati for what happened yeah. with AJ. Have you for how did as a friend of someone who was in that? Yeah. yeah. How did did you do you forgive Jalen? Do you what, what's your opinion with, to that incident? Is that something that happens in football and everybody moves on, or is that like man that's just never I'm not gonna ever be able to wash that out? Yeah, I think it's just it just happens and people move on. I can, I can guarantee you, AJ AJ does not care. Yeah. Have you? I mean, you know AJ, man. Yeah. I mean, you talk about the most mild mannered person on planet. Earth. He was the most relatable and down-to-earth superstar athlete I have ever been around, right? So I'm sure he doesn't give a damn, to be honest. Um, but that's just football, man. That's a part of it. Like, yeah. we are in a game where you run full speed into other people, and you hit them. It's not a, it's not like a, you know, we hate to see injuries, you hate to see, but there's a mindset you have to get into to play the game of football, and I think that mindset is why Jalen Ramsey is the best corner in the National Football League, you know, and it's like you can't take that away, otherwise you probably take away what he is as a player, um, but I can promise you, AJ don't care, and I would imagine Jalen doesn't give a damn either. This is just, this is just how it goes, man. It's still one of the most stunning things I've ever seen on a football field in my life. Yeah, went down though. <laughs> I, I, I was I was stunned because of who it could have been any other receiver in the right. league. I, it would have been like, oh, okay, cool. That, you know, that's crazy that happened because it was AJ. And I'm like, dude. I'm, I mean, the dude. I've never even seen him raise his voice. Yeah, I've known him for a decade plus now. You know, so yeah, it was it was a crazy it was a crazy moment in history for for AJ Green. All right, great to catch up with. Uh, Baby Hawk, uh, who had I don't, all kinds of great name drops as part of the conversation uh, of he was talking about Carl Pickens and Darnay Scott. Of course, his brother, Artrell, played with uh, a lot of those guys in the 90s, and he was a, a Bengals fan because of that as he was coming up. But, man, what, what an unbelievable story he has been from you know living on the couch and playing in the CFL to getting a shot. I mean, he, you know, he was asked a bunch about the scouting staff, and he's like, you know, they it maybe he's speaking from personal experience but they found me you know and they <laughs> gave me a real chance i was some dude who'd been living on the couch and was on a reality show and played in the cfl and they gave me a real chance to come in and play and it wasn't a fake one and it's like, that's a big part of how they find people and how they're they're willing to give people they have some belief in real shots and uh that's a big part of of why he's even here today and why at one point you know he got that big contract with the browns but great to catch up with hawk all right jay here we go um bengals growler bet super bowl growler bet uh as if you need anything else to to feed, to have weighing on you as this game plays out we are going with an old favorite you know when you what do you do, Jay? When you get to the big game, you you do what got you there. You you you, you do something that you and this is one of our favorites, one that we've utilized, and it feels particularly fitting for what we expect this game to be. So you can send your submissions, of course, 
to hashtag Bengals Growler Bet on Twitter. You can at me and Jay if you'd like that, but make sure you have hashtag Bengals Growler Bet or to email to me, pdaner at theathletic.com with Growler in your subject header somewhere. This week for the 50 West beer, the delicious 50 West beer. Uh, and shout out to 50 West, free ice skating going on Monday if you're looking for something to do with your kids because they're not in school. Uh, Bengals growler bet, time of the game of the last lead change. We have done this one before. You need to be within three seconds of the time of the game of the last lead change. Now, that is in the final minute, if you're going to pick the final minute of the game in regulation, you need to give me the length of that play. So if it's a McPherson at the gun, you know, you can say four seconds or three seconds because it's the snap of that play. However, you need to give me the length if you choose to go in the final minute. Otherwise, you got to be within three seconds in either direction of the snap of the play that is the last lead change in the game. Jay, what do you got? I mean, it it feels like it has to work out this way. And and by the way, I, I wanted to go sadistic nun on you guys and make this really hard. And and Paul <laughs> smited me down and said, no, we need to make this easy. Let's let's let people win some free beer. So I, I do really like this one. And I guess I need a clarification because if if the game is tied, that are we counting that as a lead change, a game-winning field goal, even if that team has has never trailed the entire game? Yeah, if you, yeah, I yes, okay, yes. a game-winning field goal from us, a tie score is is we count it's a lead change. All right, then I'm I'm gonna go three seconds remaining in the in the game. McPherson from 49. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it feels that way, doesn't it? It does. It's hard not to. So I will just say, um, let's go to predictions, and I will offer my answer in predictions. <laughs> uh, Jay, what's your prediction? So that is uh, McPherson at the gun from 49. The snap will happen at 03 seconds or at three seconds. Um, I'm, I'm the Bengals are have won five straight games when I picked against them. So maybe I'm going to make you guys mad by doing this, <laughs> but I really do think there's there's something special brewing here, and uh, that that field goal from McPherson is going to win it for the Bengals 23 to 20. It'll be his third field goal of the game, and he will be in the running for MVP. So here's here's the thing on this one. I, I cannot get past that we have talked for weeks, months now, as we're in the mid-February, about how the other team's pass rush is gonna kill these Bengals. Yeah, and we name the pass rusher every time, right? Jeffrey Simmons or Chris Jones or Max Crosby and Yannick Ngakwe and all you know. All we did this over and over again. We've done it for weeks. We've done it for months. And whether they got nine sacks or whether they got two or none, whatever it was, Burrow and the Bengals have found ways to scheme 
and Houdini their way out of that being a factor, at least a debilitating factor. And Tennessee pushed them to their limits, without doubt. But their their ability to play complementary football and overcome that weakness has been the case all year. So to me, that is the factor that everyone points to of why the Rams will win this game and why that will be a difference. But I don't see that. I see the same thing I see when I look at any NFL game. The Bengals have the better quarterback. The Bengals have the guy built for the big stage. The Bengals have the guy who is undefeated in win-or-go-home games who and who has done it all year and a team that believes in him and a team that feels like a team of destiny to themselves. That matters. It matters here. It's mattered through this whole run. It's part of what has made this team feel different and special since week seven in Baltimore. And I'm going to hearken back to that. This has felt like the coronation of Joe Burrow. And I I think Matt Stafford is prone to mistakes. I don't think that he is prone to mistakes, has made mistakes throughout this season in big spots that almost cost the Rams games. They've found ways to dig out of some of the chaos that that he's and they have created. I don't know if it comes to a close game, that's the Burroughs game. A close game, and that's the Bengals game. They have created the big turnover. They've gotten the big play every single time. Why would this be different? I don't think this is going to be different. Bengals 19 Rams 17, McPherson from 45 at the gun, four field goals for Evan McPherson because, (laughs) of course, and the Bengals for the first time in their franchise history hoist the Vince Lombardi trophy as Super Bowl champions. So do you have McPherson as the MVP then with four field goals? No, still Burrow. (laughs) (laughs) it's still burrow it's it's burrow will make all the plays to set those up mcpherson in the conversation without doubt uh but i still think it's burrow i still think he'll have a great game i think he'll drive them consistently i think they'll have some trouble in the red zone like they have for a while um and, and have to settle for some field goals but you know we've seen we've seen zach taylor understand the dynamic of the type of game it's gonna be very you know in and and play that and take the points when he felt like it was a take the points game and we've seen him play a go for it when he felt like it was a go for it game i think this is going to feel like a take the points game it's going to feel like uh right denver right vegas um some of these games almost all the playoff games tennessee it's going to feel like a take the points game and and i i think that that will end up in, in in some field goals. And I think the Bengals' defense will play well against the Rams and, and keep them genuinely you know, sort of in check. And so I, a low-scoring game feels right. Some field goals feels right. Burrow making the plays at the end to win it and McPherson at the gun just feels right. This feels like a team of destiny in that way. Yeah, that's a great point about the, the, the way this game – because we both went really low. We, we both went under, and it, I – I wrote that story when the Bengals coached in the in the Senior Bowl. That Zach and Brian do this. They will grab a game book from a game that they think played out the way that their upcoming game is going to play out, and they will kind of do fantasy football for coaches. Well, they were they'll go through that game book and and see, you know, on second and five there was a two yard game. So okay, now you got third and two, and they will do 
they will simulate the game and their play calls and what it's going to be in that situation. And if this does play out like that, I have, I have this number in my Lou Anarumo story that's up today. In the playoffs, Bengals opponents have driven into the red zone in the second half six times, and they've yet to score a touchdown. This, this defense has just been really they, – well, they've only given up one red zone touchdown anyhow, but in the second half – they are blanking teams that, that drive down and get in the red zone. And you saw the huge stop at the end of regulation against the Chiefs. I just I feel like both kickers are going to play a, a, a pretty sizable role in this one. And as good as Matt Gay is, um, banking on Evan McPherson feels like the smart play. Yeah, I mean, it, the, that's just the way that these games have gone. The common thread in these Bengals games have, have all looked the same and 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 I think that will be the case in this one too. And and I I just can't I can't get past of you know it just feels they've banked on turnovers, they've made turnovers the way they've won games, and you have a quarterback that's prone to them. That connection is what just I just can't get past it over and over and over again. Anytime anybody asks me about this game or I think about the dynamic of it, that's the way it feels to me. Uh, all right, everybody. This has been fun. We've loved these game previews all year. It's been fun to talk about football games again. Uh, and and it's been a good run, and we will continue to do it. Uh, of course, we have our live room uh, with myself, Jay, uh, Jordan Rodrigue, Lindsey Jones, uh, all breaking that down. Again, that'll be available exclusively as Athletic Audio Plus content on the Athletic Football Show feed. Um, or you can listen to it live. Um and that'll be that's on uh, Thursday afternoon, and so we we have that for you, and then of course the walkout from SoFi Stadium in Los Angeles. Myself and Jay wrapping up the Super Bowl with our final walkout of the year, and uh, and then <laughs> and then we'll go from there, and we'll we'll see what happens next. Maybe it's a parade that we'll be covering next week. Uh, who knows? But all of that is is to come. And again, if you're not a subscriber to the Athletic, I, I like at this point. There is just so much incredible content up from across our entire staff. I'm just so proud to be a part of this team. And I've been so proud to be a part of this podcast with UJ and our producer, Cam, who just they You guys have just been just rock stars throughout this. And I'm just it's just been so much fun. Uh, I hope everybody has sensed how much we've enjoyed it. We've I hope you guys are enjoying it. Well, judging by every video, I know you are. But uh, this has been just a treat this whole season to be able to do this. And I'm looking forward to the walkout uh, on Sunday night from the Super Bowl. How about that? It, it will be memorable one way or the other. And I, I'm looking forward to it, too. And I just Paul is the Joe Burrow of this podcast. He is what drives this whole thing. And it has it has been awesome. Uh, really fun year. Can't thank everybody enough for for following along and interacting with us on Twitter and sending in your run passer boots and the growler bets and um, get a lot of rest, people. It, it's going to it's going to be a long weekend till Sunday gets here. Uh, but I, I hope you guys all enjoy whatever the Super Bowl brings Sunday night. Yeah, should be fun. Looking forward to talking to everybody uh, on the walkout. So we will talk to you on Sunday night from SoFi Stadium. Enjoy the game, everybody. Everybody.